Good stuff. How many of you are excited about what you're going to receive? Yeah, it's going to be good. Good stuff. Uh, we've kind of been focusing on our core values. And can someone remind me what our core values are? You know? What are? Bravery. All right. Covenant. Influence. All right. Thank you. Uh, so today I'm actually going to focus on bravery. And actually I want to talk on, so this is, the, this is the title, Katie, so when you put it online, the foundation of a brave culture. So what is the foundation, basically? So bravery is something that most human beings admire, value, and praise. Throughout history and in every civilization, stories of bravery have been told. Whether they are fictional or factual, People everywhere love to be inspired by someone's bravery. All right? How many of you have a brave story that you've enjoyed over the years? All right? I was going to say, that's mine too. Uh, my favorite brave story is actually the movie called Braveheart. Have you guys ever seen that? All right. How many of you guys are old enough to see that? All right. So basically, when I saw this movie... It was back when you had to go to a movie store to rent movies. I know. I know. I know. And uh, the store that I would go to was called P&B Video. Do you guys remember that? All right. And, you know, back then, if the movie was in stock, it would be behind the official case. Do you guys remember that? And you would walk in and you'd be like, no. It's not there. So what would you have to go do? You go to the attendant and you would say, did this movie come back? And no, it didn't come back. So you're so disappointed. Now in the day of, of Netflix, it was funny. The, one of the, when we took our kids on vacation, they never had cable before. And they just couldn't understand why there were commercials on the TV. I was like, well... They've only kind of ever experienced Netflix, so it was kind of really confusing to them. But uh, so I rented this movie, Braveheart, and back then it was on VHS tapes, right? And it was so long that it had two VHS tapes, all right? And so I just remember watching that, I think I was maybe 16, I don't know, 15, 16. And I remember watching it that weekend, and I watched it three times. And every time, I cried at the end. I mean, you know, some people cry at other movies, but watching someone being tortured and crying freedom, and then his countrymen rise to the occasion. You know, so something with inside of me, desired or longed or had bravery, it was a part of who I was. And so the story spoke to a part of who I was, my DNA, that would fight against injustice and if necessary, lay down my life for something I believed in. Actually, bravery has been really part of my life, my whole life. When I was a kid, how many of you have that one stuffed animal or that one blankie that is really yours? And no one else really wants to touch it. <laughs> you know, you have to pull it from your kids. No, there's mold. There's a fungi on it. You got to throw it in the, in the washer. But I had this one. It, it was, it was uh, uh, Lionheart was the name. And I got a picture for you. Yeah. Uh, it was a Care Bear. And actually looking at that picture, I thought, man, I would suck on that hair and it would be all nasty. And actually this thing really went through the war zone because when I was a kid, I would pee the bed. And so <laughs> this thing really survived, man. It was really a lion heart. And so <laughs> no one wanted to touch it. So it got, you know, it got cleaned up, at, you know, after use, I guess you could say. So there have been songs, there have been movies, there have been books, there have been tales written on and for the purpose of instilling bravery. I mean, if you go on uh, Google and you type in books for children on bravery or courage, thousands of books will come up. And one of my, the ones that I remember was The Little Engine That Could. Do you guys remember that? 
Actually, my favorite was the major pain version. Chugga, chugga, chugga. Choo-choo. So if you've got, Danielle saw it, so she knows what I'm talking about. I don't recommend everything in that movie, I'll just say, but that part. Uh, even romantic expressions of bravery. I'll swim the deepest ocean for you. I'll climb the highest mountain just to be with you. I'll slay the evil dragon and I'll share my thoughts and feelings with vulnerability. Right? So that's brave too, right? Yeah. So bravery can be defined in many ways. So it's important to understand how we define bravery in the context of our community and our culture. The culture of giving light. So what does bravery look like in this culture? So you can find this actually on our website and we have it all around. But this is a section of it where we talk about why bravery is a core value. But we are passionately committed to, say committed to, and demonstrating the word, the presence, and power of God. Okay, I didn't need all that, but that was great. So thank you. Because of this, we courageously and continually pursue him to partner with what he's doing. We believe in the God of the impossible, and we will boldly go where he leads. Now, one thing I want to point out about that last statement, we believe in a God of the impossible and we will boldly go where he leads. So you can't separate the impossible from the boldly going. Why will we see the impossible? Because we boldly go. Um, I was corresponding with a friend on Facebook maybe a couple weeks ago, and they were kind of telling me some of, diff- some of the difficulties that they were going for. And at the end of it, I told them that I would pray for the best possible outcome. Sounds good, right? I'll pray for that. And then after I wrote it, I thought, I don't want to pray for the best possible outcome. I want to pray for the best impossible outcome. Do you see the difference? Yeah. See, a lot of good things can happen out of what is possible. But if we are people of bravery, we need to have the expectation for the impossible. Does this make sense? So our mindset should not be on what is possible, but what is impossible. In 2 Corinthians, you can find where we're told, for we walk by faith and not by sight. In Hebrews 10, we see the just shall live by faith. That word live means everything pertaining to life. Meaning everything. Eating, sleeping, resting, working, creating. We do that by what? The just do that by faith. So this does not mean that we forsake doing good in the things that are possible. But our expectation should be on partnering with God of the impossible. And that can only be done by boldly going where he leads. If we want to see the manifestation of the impossible in our lives, our families, and this body, we must be committed to boldly going where he leads. So we courageously and continually pursue him to partner with what he's doing. The truth is, if you've been following Jesus for any period of time, you will recognize that he is comfortable leading you past your comfort zone. Right? That's the norm, right? And he obviously does it out of love, right? But he's always leading us past where we feel safe. Right? He leads us past what is the norm. If we are committed to demonstrating the word, presence, and power of God, then we have to be willing to courageously pursue him in what he's doing. Brave means having or showing a mental or moral strength to face danger, fear, or difficulty. So to be brave, you have to be willing to step outside of what is comfortable 
step outside what is safe, step outside of the norm, and actually step into something that may be very fearful. Aren't you glad you're a part of this culture? So to be brave, you have to be willing to confront fear. Bravery or brave means to put on a showing showy display. This is why we are committed to demonstrating his word, presence, and power. Guess what? When you step out in bravery and you go and you boldly go where he leads, there's going to be a showy display of his word, of his presence, and of his power. So we pursue him to partner with what he's doing. So you must be willing to follow him above position above opportunity, and even above promise. Think about this. Moses was in the wilderness for how many years? Long time, right? (laughs) Say a long time. (laughs) Long time. And so they have an opportunity, or they're going to go into the promised land, and the Lord says, you know, I think I'm not going to go with you because you kind of like the people have been stubborn and pigheaded and all this stuff. And what is Moses's response? I rather stay in the wilderness with your presence than go into something that you promised. That's pretty intense. In Exodus 35, 15, then Moses said, if you don't personally go with us, don't make us leave this place. What is this place? The wilderness. So the bottom line is your presence is more important than the promise. And I'd rather stay in the wilderness with your presence than go into the promise without you. So when we say that we boldly go where he leads, we're not pursuing a promise. Are you guys following this? We don't do it to accomplish something. We do it to be with him. Does this make sense? So I believe that Jesus, oh, I just skipped a bunch. Okay. Um, I believe that each individual has a divine purpose a divine destiny, a calling, and a gifting. But if that is all we pursue, we miss the point. How many of you know that you have a calling? You have a destiny? You have giftings? But that cannot be the thing that you pursue. Jesus actually makes this bold statement. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. That's a pretty bold statement. So is Jesus saying, apart from me, you'll be unable to act, to produce, to create, to write, to speak? No, because many people do good apart from him. So he's not saying that you can't do something apart from him. In Matthew, we know that you can actually cast out demons without him. I would say that's a good thing, right? A good thing to cast out demons. <laughs> yeah. You can actually prophesy in his name without him. You can actually do mighty works, but never be in relationship with him. So I believe that Jesus was trying to communicate when he said, apart from me, you can do nothing. He wasn't referring to works or accomplishments or good things. You can actually do those things apart from him. He was referring to value. Do you see the difference? In John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches, If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. What is fruit? Fruit is the tangible expression of union and fellowship with Christ. So when he says fruit, he's referring to value, 
right? He's referring to things that are a reflection of relationship that actually have true value. But then he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. So what, what is he saying nothing? Because we, we already showed that you could do things without him, even quote unquote good things, right? So what is he saying? When he says nothing, he's talking about eternal value. So doing things through relationship, doing things through union produces fruit, which has value. And apart from him, doing those exact same things have no value. Does this make sense? So Jesus is placing the value on the relationship and the byproduct of it over what we can accomplish on our own strength. But he's not, dis, he's not diminishing the fact that there will be fruit. So it's not like I'm just in relationship with Jesus and there's no fruit. Actually, he says there will be fruit. But this fruit has actual value. And the truth is, do you know what? That we could do things apart from the Lord and it actually produce value here and now. Can you feed the feed the hungry? Does that add value now? But doing things apart from him, even though they may be good, might not have the eternal value. Does this make sense? So it's just those things that are produced on our own strength outside of fellowship that don't hold the eternal value. Banning from Jesus culture said, We are not in pursuit of the promise. We are in pursuit of his presence. And if his presence isn't with us, the promise means nothing. Look at what Moses was doing. He's been in the wilderness for 40 years. And he says, I'm not going to go into the land filled with milk and honey if you're not with me. And so sometimes we can be so focused on pursuing after his promise and really forgetting him. The promise means nothing apart from his presence. How many of you have a promise? How many of you have a destiny? If you do it without union and fellowship, what's the value? Does this make sense? And I'm not saying that this is a hard switch. I'm just saying the focus needs to be on him. And I think in the church today, it's been so focused on goals, kingdom goals, rather than relationship. Calling, destiny, purpose, and giftings have value in the context of relationship. Be aware that these things should never go before our pursuit of him. Now, when he says, when we are in fellowship and we are in union with him, there will be fruit. So he's not saying that these things are gone. He's just saying that they have value based on how he sees it. Does that make sense? That's why we could be doing a lot of good things and feel like we're doing something important, but it's not having the eternal value. Does this make sense? So pursuing promise over presence will eventually pull you out of purpose and plan. So what do I mean by that? If we continue to pursue promise over presence, eventually, eventually, it's going to actually pull us away from purpose. Does this make sense? So when we say we courageously continue to pursue him, to partner with what he's doing, it's always with the heart of fellowship and union with the Father. So when we talk about being brave and demonstrating the power of God, that is not the ultimate pursuit It's his heart, and out of that flows those things. Does this make sense? 
You might be thinking, well, I'm just not sure if I have what it takes to live a life of bravery. You know, some of you might be looking, I'm just surviving in my life. I'm just trying to make stuff happen. I'm just trying to pay the bills. And then you're up here talking about being brave and doing great things. I just don't know if I have what it takes. Have you guys ever felt that before? <laughs> Shimon's like, never, never, never. That's why we love you. That's why we got to keep preaching this message. <laughs> so maybe you're the one that thinks, I don't have what it takes. Uh, in 2 Corinthians 5, 5 through 7. Now he who has made us, say made us, and prepared us, say prepared us, for this very purpose, is God who gave us the Holy Spirit as a pledge, a guarantee, a down payment on the fulfillment of his promise. So then, being always filled with good courage and confident hope, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. Now, he's not saying that God is away from us. He's saying when we actually leave this body, it doesn't even compare to what we have right now. So he's not actually saying he's away from us. So I just wanted to clarify that. For we walk by faith, not by sight, living our lives in a manner consistent with our confident belief in God's promises. Now, this verse really shatters that excuse, doesn't it? Well, I just don't know if I have what it takes. Well, let's look at this verse. The one who made you, He's also prepared you for this purpose. Do you have what it takes? How many of you have been created? How many of you know that he's actually prepared you for this purpose? And as a guarantee that he will fulfill the promise, he has given you the Holy Spirit. Think about that. I made a promise to you. And my pledge or my guarantee that it will be fulfilled is I'm giving you the Holy Spirit. Wow. There's another excuse gone. <laughs> so the Holy Spirit is the foundation for fulfilled promise. Remember how I said our focus cannot be on the promise. Why? Because what is the guarantee of the fulfilled promise? The Holy Spirit, which is relational. Are you guys seeing this? So it is the work of the Holy Spirit that connects us relationally. Can you see how they uh, intertwine? Since you have the Holy Spirit, now what does it say? Since you have the Holy Spirit, you have, you should have the expectation that your life will be filled with courage and hope. What does it say? It says in verse six, so then being always filled with good courage and confident hope. So we've been given a guarantee that the promises will be fulfilled. And in the meantime, what's the effect? Good courage and confident hope. Well, I don't know if I have what it takes to live a life of bravery. Actually, you do. You really do. Thank you, Father. So the fruit is, the fruit of the Holy Spirit being given to us is courage and hope, which is required for entering into the promise. So we walk by faith, living our lives in a manner consistent to our confident belief in God's promises. I'm not saying that we should just forget about promises. I'm definitely not saying that. I'm just saying it always has to be in the order of relationship. And then out of relationship, there's fruit. Are you guys seeing the order? I'm just saying don't put the cart before the horse. <laughs> This is a really powerful truth. We live our lives in such a way that positions us for the fulfillment of the promise. How do we do that? It is through the connection and fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Yeah. 
So we don't pursue promise. We pursue him. And out of that fulfills promise. Why does pursuing the Holy Spirit actually fulfill promise? Well, let's go back to that verse. What does it say? He who has made you and he who has made us prepared us for this very purpose is God who gave us the Holy Spirit as a pledge, a guarantee, a down payment on the fulfillment of the promise. Wow. So why is it so important to not forsake relationship? Because if we do, we're pulling ourselves away from the guarantee. How do we know that we're starting to pursue promise over relationship? That's a good question. Yeah, that's what I thought. So how do we know? Now, these are just a few. That's why I'm going to say et cetera, et cetera after it. Because it can be manifested in a lot of different ways. But these are a few that kind of came to mind. So they could be very prophetic. So the first one was consistent frustration. How do you know if you're pursuing promise over presence? There's always going to be a consistent frustration that you're not doing enough. Does this make sense? Another one is problems become exaggerated. When you pursue promise over presence, you begin to see things bigger than they actually are. Does that make sense? Because when you're in the present, hey, I'm going to probably say this a couple times. Have you ever been in the presence of God and you felt like you could do anything? You're on the altar and be like, I'm giving everything away. I'm doing it all, right? You're in his presence. And I'm going to talk about it later. And it cast out fear. So how do we know that we're pursuing promise over presence? Because problems, little problems become huge. Another one is hope becomes diminished. Because when we, how can I put it? When we are pursuing the promise over presence, we'll start to lose that hope. Another one was lack of divine inspiration. What do I mean by that? Do you, do you realize in order to have the promise fulfilled, you actually need his voice speaking into your life every moment of every day? Amen. So what happens is when we pursue promise over presence... We have to figure it out. Which kind of produces frustration, right? What's another sign that we're pursuing promise over presence? Fear increases. Because guess what? You got to do something that's impossible on your own. That's pretty fearful. (laughs) Like our calling and our purpose cannot be done on our own strength. So when we forsake presence over promise, fear happens. Because how am I going to do this? Well, you can't. It's only through relationship. What is the guarantee of the promise? The Holy Spirit has a gift to us. Another sign that we... Focus on the promise over relationship, lack of motivation. Have you ever had big dreams and you're thinking about them and God's speaking to you to you? And then you get to a point where like, I don't, I'm just not feeling this at all anymore. (laughs) And then you hear God's voice again and it stirs motivation. So if you're consistently struggling with lack of motivation for your calling and purpose, it's a sign Get with him. And the funny thing about it is, like, from pastoring for a while, you know, sometimes you just have to remind people, what is God saying? And all those little problems that they came to talk to you about is really solved because God is speaking to them. 
right? Sometimes we just have to be reminded, right? So, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. In his presence, all these things are removed. And like I said before, have you been, ever been in his presence and you can feel like you could do anything? All the fear and all the overanalyzing uh, is gone because he's with you and you can feel it and it's tangible. So my challenge to you, because guess what? Sometimes we get, we start pursuing and then we kind of forsake the presence and the fear happens and all that stuff. Don't ever forget. Don't ever forget to be reminded again. Don't ever forget to be reminded again. Uh, I think it was Jane Hammond, but this is something that always really stuck out to me that I heard her say that I think she said she heard from someone else, but I'm not exactly sure where the chain of quote really goes. But uh, she said, don't ever doubt in the dark what you heard in the light. So sometimes when we're in the dark, when we're in dealing with something or we're trying to press through or we're trying to break through, sometimes you have to say, Lord, remind me again. Refresh in me again. Restore to me again. And you know how difficult that is? It's not at all. See, when our problems get so big, it means we're trying to accomplish the promise apart from relationship. And all you got to do is say, I'm ready. (laughs) Remind me again. I mean, there's times where I just talk to God and said, yeah, I messed it up again. Can you just help me out? (laughs) You know, can we work this thing out? So you've been designed to, you've been prepared for, and you've been given a guarantee. Say that with me. I've been designed to, to, prepared for, for, and given a guarantee. guarantee. What is that guarantee? The Holy Spirit. And how do we connect with that? Through relationship. So your first response to a promise in waiting should be connection and fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Have you ever said, when is this promise going to happen? If I get another prophetic word about this one more time, (laughs) what do you do for a promise in waiting? You cling to the guarantee. The promise of God is not goal-oriented, but relational in nature. I'm going to say that again. The promises of God are not goal-oriented, but relational in nature. Like Moses said, if you're not going, don't send me. I'd rather be in the wilderness eating manna that I've been eating for 40 years then actually go into a place that looks amazing without you. So goal-oriented places the focus on what I can accomplish on my own strength. And what happens? We create personal milestones and bucket lists. We say, I should have been doing this by now. And we look and we say, they're younger than I am, and look at what's happening there. Because we created these milestones and say, this should have happened by now. But really, the pursuit is his presence. And from his presence comes the fruit. I want to accomplish this before I hit the, kick the bucket, I guess is the <laughs> bucket list, right? Right? So the attention is on what I can accomplish rather than his presence. So your personal value then is tied to these accomplishments. So that's another sign that we're pursuing promise over presence. Your personal value is tied to accomplishing these things. 
Does this make sense? You know, and God speaks to us these things, like you're going to do this, and I have this great calling for you. And if I begin to look and say, I'm not seeing the fullness of it, there's something wrong with me. Because my focus is on the promise rather than his presence. Does this make sense? And I'm saying this as a quick switch. How many of you ever just need to hit the reset button? That's what today is. It's a reset button. And you're like, you know what? I've been focusing on my dreams, my my goals, my aspirations, my calling, my giftings. I've been focusing on it so much, and I've been placing all my value on that, that I've really missed the point. And so today, we're going to hit the reset button, right? So God's promises are relational in nature. And when relationally, or when we, how do I want to say this? So, When his promises are relational, the focus is on what we can accomplish. Do you see the difference? When his promises are goal-oriented, it's what I can accomplish. But when they're relationally relational in nature, it's what we can accomplish. I'm a big person that believes in Mm co-laboring. Creating joy in the process. So what happens when we focus on relationship over promise? There's joy that is created in the process. Right? Knowing that the journey only makes us closer. When the promises are goal-oriented, we get frustrated in the process. Because it's not fast enough. It's not the way that I wanted it to be. And I'm just sick and tired of it. (laughs) But when his promises are relationally focused, there's actually joy in the process. Because the process actually draws me closer in union and fellowship. So victories are not only won, but they are shared. So when the promises of God are relational in nature, victories is not what I accomplished, but it's what we shared. It's necessary to point out that in a culture where bravery is valued, fear will be challenged. Yeah. I read a a tweet the other day. That's right. I am on Twitter. Okay, people. If you know me, it wasn't until like five years ago that I actually had a phone, right? And so, well, I won't go into the story why I'm on Twitter, but basically, so I could follow the Chiefs. So we'll just leave it at that. It's like I turn it on and everything's the Chiefs. It's a wonderful place, except when we lose. So I don't go on when we lose. It's very depressing. All right, so Brian Johnson posted a couple weeks ago, uh, and he said, I think fear is the most socially acceptable sin in the church. And I would even say that fear is the most tolerated spirit in the modern church. Oh, you're afraid? Okay. Let's rub you back. Say with me, fear... Is a demonic spirit. And I refuse to allow fear to control my life, my thoughts, and my actions. I command you to go in the name of Jesus, and I receive the peace that passes all understanding. See, he's not. Thank you. All right. No, that was Jesus. That wasn't me. But listen, fear is not okay. You know, I think sometimes, like I said, fear is sometimes the most, you know, tolerated spirit in the church. If someone came in and was doing witchcraft in the back, we would deal with it, right? 
But fear comes in and we're like, oh, here, have a seat. Right? So in a culture where bravery is valued, fear will be challenged. All right. Good stuff. And let me just say this. Fear hates to be challenged. Yeah? It's afraid of being challenged. Have you ever tried to encourage someone to face their fears? It's not pretty. (laughs) Being a pastor for a while, that's one of my favorite things to do. (laughs) Because where's the compassion? Do we have compassion for spirits? And so I'm going to break this down a little bit more, but say with me, fear is not okay. okay. It will not be tolerated. And it should never be excused. excused. Well, that doesn't sound very loving. (laughs) You know, I thought the church was a place where everybody felt loved. Where's the compassion? Let me give you a nugget of truth. If I didn't want to break the mic, I would drop the mic. Okay. (laughs) All right. Feeling loved is not the same as being loved. Feeling loved is not the same thing as being loved. Do you realize that someone can make you feel loved, but not have your best interest at heart? My mom still goes back to youth, but when I was in youth and she would go back, she did this to to protect the young ladies of the youth group. And she always used the same person, Joe Cool. (laughs) So if there is a Joe Cool out there, we apologize. We never meant to. But my mom has used you as a bad influence. (laughs) But she would say, She would go up to the girls and say, Joe Cool will say all the things that you want to hear. And he will make you feel love. But his real desire is to take advantage. And so she was kind of protecting these girls. So the truth is, a church can either be a place that makes you feel loved or actually loves. And let me just say this. It's okay to make you feel loved. I'm not, hey, we believe in validation, right? We believe in speaking into your identity. But the truth is, if there is a spirit of fear that is harassing you, it would be against love to not address it. Does that make sense? Good stuff. Proverbs 27, 6. Faithful are the wounds of a friend who corrects out of love and concern. But the kisses of an enemy are deceitful because they serve his hidden agenda. Well, doesn't love accept people where they're at? Well, if your fear defines who you are, then you're placing your identity in the wrong place. So when we address fear, we are not addressing you. We're addressing the lie that you believe about yourself. There's a big difference. All right. You know, I, I just still don't get it. I, you know, um, this whole addressing fear thing, I just feel like I'm not feeling very loved. Actually, the scripture says that perfect love cast it out. Mm-hmm. It didn't say nudge it out. It didn't say rub his back out. It says it cast it out. First John 4, 17 through 18. I'm going to go King James on you. Watch out. All right. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because, we, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect, perfect love casteth out fear. Because fear hath torment, he that feareth is not made perfect in love. Now, I want to focus on this one phrase because fear hath torment. Other versions will say punishment. 
But many times we only relate fear and punishment to the day of judgment, referencing verse 17. But the Greek word for half means to have, to hold, to own, to possess. So it's not referring to deserves fear. It's not even saying will receive punishment, but quite literally says he has it. Because fear hath torment. Why do we cast out fear? Because it is actually tormenting you. It doesn't say fear will eventually have judgment. It's saying it is judgment. Are you guys getting this? So to enable, to tolerate, to excuse fear is unloving. Because fear has torment. So to enable fear, that's one thing with my kids. If they're afraid, we're dealing with it. Because if I allow it, and I don't confront it, then I'm allowing something to torment my children. To torture my children. Does this make sense? And if we as spiritual leaders allow fear, we're allowing actual torment in your life. Thank you very much. (laughs) So when love comes in, perfect love, fear must be expelled. Other versions will say it drives it out. The way I picture that driving out is as if an invading army was coming in to drive out the inhabitants of the land. So when love comes in, it's actually like an army coming in and driving out the inhabitants of the land. How do you know someone is walking in perfect love or mature love? They won't enable your fears. They'll instill courage. They'll actually speak to a dormant identity and destiny and call it out. How do you know you're being loved? Because the people around you will say you're believing a lie and it's time for your true identity to come forth. How many of you believe that Jesus loves you? Now you're like, I'm not sure if I want to say yes to that. Okay. Jesus loves me, this I know. Then you must recognize that he is committed to driving out fear in your life. Because you can't get more perfect love than the Holy Spirit and Jesus and the Father. So you, you have to accept the fact that he is committed to driving fear out from, out from among you. There is no fear in love. Think of it as polar opposites. Have you guys ever encountered a magnet? <laughs> You're like, no, I, you know, I haven't been in school for a while. So you have one side that attracts, right? And then you have another side that actually repels, right? Think of that with fear and love. The closer love comes, fear is actually repelled. So I want to also paint another picture with this. Think of your gas gauge in your car. It indicates the level of gasoline that you have, right? How many of you are those type of people that will let the the gas tank go as low as possible before you fill up? Okay, apparently Danny's gesturing that Amanda likes to do that. It's kind of like a game, right? I'm kind of one that does it. It's just really bad when you're like, oh, I'll fill it up later. And then you drive out to church and then you're like, Wow, I totally forgot about that. And then I pray that I get to cuppies, right? Oh, is that Donna? It's like, it's a game, right? Always have a gas can in the car, right? Um, Or you're like, we're down a quarter tank. We better fill this thing up. You know, you don't know what's going to happen, right? At half tank, she's like, this is not good for the car. So I'm not trying... I'm not trying to put a positive spin on fear. I'm not trying to put a positive spin on fear. 
But fear definitely lets me know how much love I have in the tank. Was that another drop, Mike? No, okay, all right. If I'm experiencing a lot of fear, what does that tell me? My love is low. Because perfect love actually repels fear. Remember when I said, don't ever forget to say, remind me again, Lord. Remind me again what you said. Tell me how much you love me, Lord. Tell me how special I am. Like I said, I'm not trying to put a positive spin on fear. But if fear is consuming you, it's an indication to go to the source of love. What would happen if we use the enemy's tactics against him? The more I experience fear, the more I run to love. So the more fear and dread and anxiety I'm having, it's just a sign that says, come to Jesus. Come to Father, right? Don't stay in fear, run to love. Say, say that with me. I will not stay in fear, but I will run to love. Amen. Do you remember when I said feeling loved is not the same as being loved? So the question we have to ask ourselves is what does perfect love feel like? Destiny, has your sister ever loved have you ever felt love from your sisters? Maybe I'm stepping on like a, a snare right here. Okay, just follow, just go with me, right? So you felt love, so you know what that feels like. Maybe it's rubbing your back. You're probably a touchy person. So, okay, so when your sister roughs you up, that's your love language. Okay. So you kind of know what that feels like. We have those languages of love, you know, uh, quality time, physical touch, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So we kind of have the understanding of what love feels like, right? Have you ever felt love? You're not sure? Okay. You are sure? Okay. But the question is, how do we know that we're feeling perfect love? How is perfect, complete, mature love experienced and felt? It actually tells us in this verse, it's the absence of fear. Now that's good. That's good. How do you know that you're experiencing perfect love? You do not feel fear. Have you ever been in the presence of the Lord and you're like, I can do anything? What are you experiencing? Perfect love, because perfect love casts out fear. And so let's say you, you get out of that place of that, you know, that manifested presence and you start experiencing this thing and fear starts rising up. It's just an indication. Lord, remind me again what you said. Remind me again how you think of me. Remind me again. So how is perfect love, complete, mature love experienced and felt? By the absence of fear. Perfect love drives out fear because fear has torment. Is a loving father going to allow you to be tormented? No. Well, then the next question is, why do I still experience fear? Like, these are good questions, I would think. Okay, if you said that perfect love casts out fear, and you're perfect love, then why do I experience fear? Well, let's talk about it. 1 John 4, 17. In this union and fellowship with him, love is completed and perfected with us. So why do we then experience fear? Because we are in a process of love being completed and perfected in us. 
that word where it says love is, is meaning after, hereafter, or afterwards. So the perfection of love in us is after union and fellowship. So why do we still experience fear? Love is still being perfected and matured in us. Does this make sense? So how is love perfected in us? Through fellowship and union with Holy Spirit. It kind of challenges us to think we can have as much fear as we want. Wow. I can have as much fear as I want. I love this quote from Leonard Ravenhill. A man who is intimate with God is not intimidated by man. What is he saying? When you're intimate with God and you hear his voice and you're connected to him, all that fear is cast out. Why do I still experience fear? What did I say? When I feel fear, it's letting me know that love needs to increase. So the more I experience fear, the more I run to love because love casts out fear. So how is love perfected in us? Okay. First, and we've kind of talked about it, but it is through fellowship with him and that love is perfected in us. First John 4, 16 through 17. We have come to know by personal observation and experience and have believed with deep, consistent faith the love which God has for us. God is love. Say that with me. God is love. And the one who abides in love abides The one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides continually in him. In this, what is in this, abiding in God, in this union and fellowship with him, love is completed and perfected with us. So love is perfected in us through connection to love. By what? By observation and experience. How do we observe and experience love? For one, it's the work of the Holy Spirit. But how else do you think we can observe love? By experiencing it from the people around us. So you're saying that God has set it up. That love is perfected in by union with him, but also union with Others? Like in our flesh, it's like, no. (laughs) Imperfect people, stay away. (laughs) But how is love actually matured in us? It's through union with him and you guys. (laughs) Right? So it is through a culture of connection and love. So why do we value bravery? Because we love. Because love casts out fear. So when we say fear is not okay, it's not to make you feel bad. It's actually to set you free. And because we want to see you set free, it's because we love. So love is perfected in us not only through fellowship with the Father, but it's perfected in us through demonstrating love. There's a common thread in, throughout this chapter that, that uh, there's a common thread that runs throughout this chapter. God is love and is demonstrating to the world through us. John 1, 14, 7, because he is, he is what? According to this, The context, he is love. So because he is love, so are we in this world. What is that saying? Because he is love, we are love to this world. How is love perfected in us? By receiving his perfect love and then extending it to those around us. 
You mean God can't just make me feel really good and then that's how love is perfected? No, actually, it's actually to love those that you're not feeling that great about. <laughs> Have you ever experienced that, Jeff? Like in your marriage, like you, you just always see her as glorious and no? Okay, won't go there. All right. We all know the truth. All right. <laughs> So the perfection of love is not fully matured through fellowship alone. For love to be perfected in us, it must also be demonstrated through us. 1 John 4.20 If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, this is all in the same chapter. It's all in the same chapter. It's It's all one continuous thought. If someone says, I love God, but hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? So love that is perfected in us that cast out fear is both received as well as given. What, what's the verse? Perfect love cast out fear. Okay. So we receive perfect love through relationship with the Father. How do we actually cast out fear as well? We have to love those around us. Have you ever been in a relationship where there were uncertainties? Uncertainties, you're like, I'm not sure what they're feeling right now. What does that produce? Fear. So how is love perfected in us? How is love actually cast out? We actually receive it from him and then we extend it to the situation. So how is love cast out? Is I receive the perfect love and then I extend it to the very situation that I'm afraid. Does this make sense? All right. Love that cast out fear is not perfected in us through the secret place alone, but it is in the demonstration of it to the world around us. So love is perfected in us as we step outside of a place of safety and into a place of bravery. So when we say, actually all of our core values are really centered around love, but it was kind of like, what's our core values? Well, we could say love. I mean, all of these things From covenant to influence to bravery, all of them, the foundation is really love. So why do we value bravery? Because we love him. And we love the world around us. So I want to read this all together. Rebecca, do you want to put that up there? Okay. So we're going to try to read this together. We'll see how it goes. Okay. One. (laughs) <laughs> All right. We passionately committed to and demonstrating the word, presence, and power of God. Because of this, we courageously and continually pursue him to partner with what he's doing. Our mission is to pioneer and build platforms for God's kingdom to be established on earth. The passion creates a prophetic apostolic environment where faith is increased and the supernatural released. We believe in a God of the impossible and we will boldly go where he leads. So what is the foundation of our brave culture? It is perfect love, love and perfect love actually cast out fear. So, Lord, we just come before you. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Let's just put our attention on him right now. And remember when I said today is a really good day for a reset button. And maybe some of you have been looking and saying, you know, um, fear has been consuming my life. Or I'm making decisions out of fear. And I just need to hit that reset button. Lord, right now, we just ask through your spirit that we hit that reset button, we reconnect to our first love. Lord, that we're not just pursuing after your promise, but we're pursuing after your presence. And if your presence isn't with with us, 
the promise isn't worth it. So, Lord, we just come before you, and, Lord, we just reset right now. We reset our heart back to you. Say, I reset my heart back to you. And the awesome thing is, he's right there. He hasn't forsaken. Lord, we put our focus and our attention on you. Lord, I just decree that as we leave this place, bondages will be broken off. Things that have been uh, harassing and tormenting, Lord, we command it to go. Lord, I pray that we experience a great dose of perfect love. Because perfect love actually drives out fear. It actually casts it out. It actually expels it from us. So, Lord, we just receive it now. Say, I receive your love. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. So what I want to do is we're going to call up the, the healing teams. But also, I want to have the altar open for if you're just saying, I just want more of what God was just speaking to me. I want more of it. The altar's open for you. We're going to have music playing and just really focus on the Lord and allow him to just really instill some of the things that I even spoke about today.